patient comes in with a, with a certain symptom, right? But that body system is not examined or everything is normal. And then you get down to the diagnosis and all, there's all of a sudden this phantom diagnosis, we call it, right? That just popped up out of nowhere. Have you ever wondered what it takes to transition your career from coder to CDI professional? What is CDI and how important is it? Have you ever wondered the difference between a coder and a CDI professional? Who does what? This is Healthcare Echoes, season two of the Healthcare Inspired podcast, episode four, coding to clinical documentation, navigating the CDI landscape. Welcome to Healthcare Inspired. This is Healthcare Echoes, season two. This is episode four. We are so excited to be back. And I have my co-host once again, Maya Turner. Welcome back, Maya. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. It's going to be a great show, I think. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think uh, when we talk about CDI and everything that's related to it, it's it perks interest because there's so much to it, right? There's so many layers to CDI. So I think this will be really interesting to hear and to really hear um, or to really give a perspective of how coders can get, you know, involved with it. Because I, I think people think it's kind of like a, ooh, you know, subject because there's so many uh, different layers to it. But when you really look at it uh, from a broader perspective, it's really something that everyone has a access to and it's just really a matter of how to do it 100 i agree and you know i um love coding i love documentation and so it makes sense when you love both of those things you want to make sure that they match <laughs> so so that's kind of where this thought comes from and so on the hospital side, it has historically been more of a thing where you have actual CDI departments, clinical documentation improvement departments that are set up specifically for the hospital. Now, Maya, tell our audience why in the world do hospitals need CDI departments? What is the purpose? It's so interesting because CDI departments are really kind of the driver on making the decision on whether the documentation is supported for the bill, right? And I think one of the things that is really, really pertinent is how it translates to dollars, right? And if the documentation is supported from it to translate to an escalation of care, then whatever sources that are utilized within that process is supported. For example, a CDI team would look at all of the elements that are needed to escalate a, a stay from observation or from, from, from emergency room to observation to inpatient. And they look for certain things to see if they can win over an insurance company to, to, uh, to make it an inpatient stay. And it's usually the physician CDI uh, specialists who are involved with it. Um, they're more clinically trained in that regard, but they also have 
uh, a lot of insight. There, there are certain tools that they look for um, to make sure that that state becomes inpatient um, because they have those sources and they have the clinical training to, to back it up. Exactly. And so that is kind of the thought process. When we think about CDI, a lot of coders want to know how to get into that because they have that brain already, right? How do we get into that? So we're going to talk today about not only some of the, the actual uh, conditions, a couple of the conditions we picked out today, just to kind of give you a preview of what CDI professionals look at with two common conditions that we see in, in the CDI world on the hospital side that can give you insight into the role and the world of a CDI professional. So you can take your coding knowledge you already have and build on it and get into this world where you're not just thinking about what the code is. Um, and if that condition is documented, but is there clinical evidence throughout the entire document to support the fact that they diagnose this patient with this condition? Whether or not you capped the right code, is there enough evidence there to support it? I have to think of us as detectives, right? Get a little eyeglass out. We're trying to find out, like, is it really there? Right. Yes. And I think it also goes to how we are coders to, to familiarize ourselves with the pathology and the disease process, right? Because a lot of times when we're dealing with CDI, it's all about the evidence of what could be managed or what needs to be tested for the stay. And one of the bigger things that we need to keep in mind is that CDI specialists uh, really kind of gauge um, what the facility needs to do in order to manage a problem. So they look for those indicators to help identify what could be managed or the testing that needs to be involved to determine a diagnosis. So it's more so about the resources and the CDI team enhances what could be founded based upon those diagnoses after study and then the process. So that's why in a, a facility setting, you always code based upon what is possible, right? You use possible diagnoses because that is the workup or the testing that's associated what could be versus when you're in a physician um, type of involvement, you're coding by what's definitive because that's what being treated because that's how they're managing. That's their thinking process. But in a CDI setting, in a facility setting, everything is based upon testing based upon or treatment based upon what could be versus what is because you're still using the resources to treat that problem right exactly and we're in a we're in a uh, a world now where people are, are constantly thinking about okay how much is it going to cost me um you know and so we have value-based care that is the kind of a buzzword but it is it's a it's a common um you know way uh, revenue stream a way that providers are reimbursed in in many cases we still have fee for service but value-based care models are out there so it's really about what's it going to cost we have to find a way to cover the cost to treat this patient so that kind of model has always been a part of the hospital system that's always kind of been how they work you know we have to look at the severity of illness we have to look at what is the the likelihood of them consuming resources and how much are they going to consume while they're here so we can make sure that we have we we get reimbursed 
enough to capture the resources they consumed. So there has to be some kind of way. And then Maya, what happens for those of us that don't kind of, those out there that don't know the, the back end side of what maybe admin at the hospital looks at. So they have reports, right? Like they're like, okay, we know the patient's discharge. Did we get enough money in, in the bank <laughs> to cover this? So what are some of those, those kind of things that the administrators look at, like that give them headaches? Because I know I've talked to a lot of them and they're like, this report said this, this is, we actually got paid and tell the, the higher ups why they didn't get enough. And so now there's a problem. So what are some of those conversations like and why is that impactful? You know, I have a, a, a friend who uh, is um, in Revenue Cycle. She's one of the VPs of Revenue Cycle. She just moved to Michigan. She's a good friend of mine. And uh, she always worked the numbers. And one of the things that she said was a headache was the over-utilizers. Um, and so when you have over-utilizers who run tests across the gamut that really may not be negated by the diagnoses, you know, they just want to have all of these tests run for these patients, and then it's not supported um, by the end of the DRG, which says, you know, the length of stay is X amount of days, and we're going to get X amount of days per day. So when you when you think about the overutilizers and the DRG that's related to that, meaning um, what they are actually going to get paid, does all of the tests and the resources that are utilized for that test um, affect how they are going to get reimbursed. So for those of you who are not relate, uh, really familiar with what a DRG does, a DRG has several factors. A DRG deals with the diagnoses, the global meaning length of stay, and, you know, any ancillary uh, services that could affect that, which it would be comorbidities or, or conditions that are comorbidities, right? And so when you run tests, that may be overutilized and it doesn't change the amount of money the hospital gets per day, then it changes the dynamic because the hospital is spending more money than what they're actually getting for the DRG that they are reimbursed on a daily basis. So, you know, you have all of these different things that affect the actual reimbursement of a hospital. So you have to think, you know, when you think about Medicare reimbursement, the DRG is just that you know, that, that's it. That's all end of story. There are some things like, you know, the SDOH factors that are coming into play that can make it a problem. And that elevates the, the care and the amount of reimbursement. But if you have a physician who's an overutilizer and performing a whole lot of tests, and it's not affecting the reimbursement, the hospital in turn loses money because they're paying the staff to run that test. They're paying the machine equipment. They're paying for the electricity. They're paying for all of those things that are associated with that test that doesn't have a return on investment. And you're going to hear, you know, return on investment a lot, especially when you're dealing with, you know, new equipment and all that other stuff. So, you know, you have to think about all those things. And when you have older utilized over utilizers, it changes the dynamic of how that hospital makes money. One hundred percent. I think you just hit everything on the on the nail on the head. And so, for those of you who want to learn more about you know that kind of thing, there are organizations that do provide training if you want to get into CDI. And so, for instance, you know to get certified, there are a couple options. Like right off the bat, we have of course the HEMA. 
that offers their inpatient credential, right? And then the AAPC has an outpatient version, which I have obtained. So I currently hold this DDEO, which is documentation um, expert outpatient. And I, and I do really, really love that credential. So I actually do love it. So it's, it's nice to have, but yeah, I, I have aspirations. I mean, I would love, love, love to have the inpatient side, but I, I stick more on the, on the outpatient side for my, my, my work. So I, I usually stay with the outpatient. And, you know, there's, there's several organizations in addition to AHIMA and AAPC that offer training. Um, and my thing is, I, I believe uh, ACTUS also has a certification um, for CDI. Uh, I don't, I can't, I think it's CCDS, CCDS that offers it. So, and there's a bazillion places that offer classes. So if you're interested, it's more so about putting yourself in a mindset for training and then getting the certification. And, 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 and don't be afraid to look and don't be afraid to ask questions. I mean, as coders, that's part of our job. You know, we got the magnifying glass. So, and we're looking for documentation. What about doing that for your career? It's the same, you know, concept. Be, if you're, you know, curious enough to know what it is, be curious enough to do the research to find out how you can get certified in it. Um, there's no limitations. There's no um, there's no prerequisites um, and, and involved with it. It's just a matter of getting your foot in the door once you get certified. And if you already are a coder working for an organization, there is a shortage. There is a shortage. Um, and I believe for um, I believe for outpatient and through AHIMA, I think it's called CDIP. Uh, CDIP is a certification for the, that uh, clinical documentation. So the possibilities are endless. The only pos the only roadblock is you. You create your own opportunities and you make that happen. So you know I think it's um, very important that we all realize that you shouldn't put barriers on what could be based upon how you um, want to move forward. I 100% agree. There's so much to do in healthcare and there is literally a, a role or a, a passion you can find for every personality out there. So, I mean, like, I think like we sometimes find ourselves in a role that we just kind of walked into and maybe it's not right for, our, maybe it's not right for our personality. So think about that. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And because everybody is into education, you know, and into specialty uh, type of uh, 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 training. The possibilities literally are endless, really. There, I mean, it's just there. I mean, LiveMen, uh, AAPC, uh, I, did, I believe AHIMA, and then obviously uh, AHIMA has their own uh, certification and Actus actually has their own classes too. So the investment is and opportunities are there in yourself and there's many, many venues of which you can do it. Absolutely. So, you know, start with really just, um, you know, understanding it, right? Understand the reimbursement side as much as you can. If you already have a clinical background, like if you're a nurse, for instance, then you have a, a huge, you know, leeway into this field because you are, you are clinically trained. So once you understand the documentation part and what documentation needs to have, you understand the process of each document, what it's for, uh, 
and how it affects the reimbursement process, then you can start having those real conversations with the business teams and the physicians, because that's your role. I mean, you are like the intermediary. You're having conversations, hopefully, with the physician teams, understanding them, and then explaining that to the business teams who need to know why this is happening, right? Or how to fix this issue, right? So last year, I think, no, the year before, I went to Tennessee for a... Um, a project where I was doing education for hospitalist group. And they're like, we need some education to help with our DRGs. <laughs> so I said, okay, great. The first thing I asked is, is your CDI team going to be present? Because I was like, I want them to be there and I want your physicians to be there. Let's bring everyone to the table, right? You know, and it, it's really interesting because I think there's a gap between physician communication and CDI reimbursement from a documentation perspective, because everyone seems to feel like, you know, um, once it's facility, that's it. But to me, and, 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 and we don't even have an organization that really kind of monitors the communication between physician language and hospital language. And I think, and I, I, Leslie Bowles talked about this uh, some time ago about um, how there needs to be a continuum momentum about how um, communication between the physicians and the hospital and the professional links between the resources that are associated with what the physician documents and then their own personal management of the same patient. Even though the documentation is significantly different when it comes to resources, but when it comes to management and the communication for coders, facility, and physicians, there needs to be a triangle of communication. And right now, we're missing a piece of that triangle uh, to make that uniform communication. I agree. So everything needs to intersect and everyone has to know that everything they touch affects other departments and overall it affects the patient. And we can talk to her blue in the face on that concept. And I probably have I probably passed out a few times uh, trying to explain that concept, but, uh, but I digress. So, you know, Maya, we love the healthcare. We love for many reasons. One of my favorite reasons is I love the human body. I'm fascinated by it, right? What it does, what it doesn't do sometimes. And then why, you know, so I got into healthcare for many reasons, you know, um, but ultimately I, I'm a people person, as you can tell, I love, I love to talk and I love to, I, I just love people, you know, I love, I love you, Maya. I, I just love being in, I love you too. <laughs> I just love being in, I just love being in the room with people and engaging with them, which is why COVID was so hard for me because I was like, okay, I'll do virtual, but I want to be with people. I mean, but I think this these types of venues that make communication at least somewhat tangible because you're still having an, uh, a conversation between two people that are live and not, you know, recorded. So it makes it easier to cope. But during COVID was a rough time. It was a rough time. And I think you know, now we're dealing with, you know, the after effects. And I think we're still kind of in a culture shock, honestly, uh, between what we can do, what we can't do. And uh, how do we move forward away from, you know, the, the bubble, the, the, cont the, uh, the contagious bubble uh, to not get, get con uh, contaminated or whatever. So. 
Yeah. So I think at the heart of CDI is really understanding how our bodies work. Like that really is the crux of understanding CDI and coding for, for real. I mean, both together. So we, 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 we know there's going to be some CDI professionals just roll their eyes when I say what our first condition we're going to talk about is because it's the, I don't know, it's, it's the one that nobody wants to talk about, but everyone's talking about, it's sepsis, guys. We're going to talk about sepsis. I, I know we, I think every podcast, CDI podcast I've listened to, including the podcast for Actus, has touched this condition more times than I can even count my on my hands because I listen to the Actus podcast. <laughs> Because it's always a problem. It's always a problem because people think that anything that is considered septic is all one and the same. And it's just not. It's not. And I think that's part of the problem is the education, the um, robust education that's needed to help identify the different levels of sepsis and what needs to identify um, for greater reimbursement right? And what makes it uh, linked to um, an organ system. Um, they always use the term SOFA, um, you know, uh, and because, you know, and for those of you who don't know what SOFA is, it's a sequential organ system failure um, that is related to um, the care for sepsis. Um, and um, you, you, you got to know, um, based upon certain characteristics of labs and things like that, what's going to happen and the, the what the lab outcome is going to relate to how that organ failure is going to be documented and creating, you know, the likelihood of uh, sepsis one, sepsis two, or what have you. So definitely makes a difference. Um, knowing those types of, of uh, uh, terminology um, that is related to uh, the care for, for sepsis and how the hospital is reimbursed because that's that's the that's the money maker, but it's done wrong so poorly. Hospitals lose millions, I mean, millions of dollars based upon how it's documented and or captured incorrectly. Um, and there's many guidelines that are related to that. Yes, and I want to you know really just get you thinking about sepsis in general like it's an infection right so when you, most of us as humans we understand when the body has an infection we have a built-in system to try to find that infection and fight it right that's what our bodies were designed to do to fight infections when they come in and so sometimes right sometimes when the body goes to work it can create an inflammatory response and right? SIRS. So this systemic inflammatory response syndrome. So that's where that, that kind of concept comes from. And so when physicians or clinicians are looking at the data, the clinical data, they're trying to identify, okay, the body's going in overtime here. There's lots of inflammation. Is it sepsis or is it a UTI? <laughs> is it this or is it that? You know, what, what kind of infection is causing this inflammation? We know there's that something's going on, but where did it come from? What is the principal diagnosis what is the cause of admission what is after all said and done really the cause of the patient needing to be admitted to this facility that's going to track all of this this testing and all of these resources that we're going to have come in and and again i want to point out to all of you out there 
when we talk to physicians and groups and as consultants, what we're trying to get across is that we're not here to do your jobs. We're, our job is to tell you how to get reimbursed for the services you're performing. Because at the end of the day, regardless of facility or profi or wherever you're working, ASC, whatever, wherever facility you're at, um, we're focused on getting reimbursed. And not everything that you do is reimbursable. And you know that. Right. Because everything is tied to a bundled payment. And you, if you have to, if you don't understand the reimbursement realm and overutilization of testing and how that affects um, so many different areas of reimbursement, um, if you're overutilizing, if you're running tests that don't need to be run and it's not changing the outcomes of the reimbursement, then the hospital is going to be in a negative in the red based upon the reimbursement for that stay especially if the documentation doesn't support the principal diagnoses and the, the, the diagnoses that could change the amount of reimbursement. So you got to think about um, not just um, how they're being admitted, uh, which is the admitting diagnoses, but the, permit, the, the principal diagnoses after study and everything that's associated with the care, the labs and all of that. So, you know, it's a huge deal. And I've seen, I don't know how many times where the patient did present clinically complex, but because the documentation was so poor, they couldn't get reimbursed because there was no way to defend the level of uh, service and or the DRG that could have been that wasn't because of the failed documentation. 100%. So... We're not going to go into all the all the nitty gritty. I do encourage you if you really like, you know, some of you out there have mentioned you want to get into CDI. One of the biggest things that can really help you is this is one of the main things that causes headaches for hospitals. And it will be on a lot of exams potentially, but really just understanding um, how the reimbursement works, how a hospital gets paid, what the documentation has to support, and then the condition itself. Think about learning what kinds of labs are taken when a patient, if they're trying to diagnose a patient for this condition, what kind of medications, what medications would potentially be prescribed? And so what you're looking for in documentation is the evidence that the physician has used to come up with this diagnosis. So if they have diagnosed with diabetes, for instance, type two or one, please tell us the type. It's, it's, it may not seem like a big deal to a physician, but it's a huge deal from a risk standpoint, <laughs> from a reimbursement standpoint, to understand the risk level and the resources consumed for it, the type, right? Just one example. But again, we know the medications, we should know the medications that they would potentially prescribe for that patient. So then what are those medications? Are they clearly documented that they prescribe them? They're managing them. Why are they still on them? There's a lot of questions we're like asking ourselves in CDI, like, okay, why do they do this? I don't see the connection here. Right. Right. And I also think that when you're dealing with CDI, it's more so about the disease process associated with the diagnoses. The disease process and understanding the labs that are associated to, to diagnose that patient or to treat whatever condition is being presented. 
So as coders, um, you got to know the pharmacology, you got to understand the pathophysiology, you got to understand the entire disease process to kind of grasp what the physicians are trying to say and what the CDI team needs for them to document for that to match the reimbursement for all of the resources that could be related um, based upon, you know, uh, the principal versus the admitting, you know, and how they could present for uh, uh, uh a complication, um, you know, and even, you know, because SDOH is a big thing. We talked about this the last episode uh, of the homelessness and how that needs to also be captured and also changes the dynamic for a DRG. So you've got a, all of these documentation things, but as a detective, you got to look at everything. You got to look at the how they presented. You got to look at who brought them in, who gave them the history, who gave them this. So all of those things kind of make a huge difference on how and what um, is reimbursed and how it's captured in the medical record. And the CDI team has a huge uh, amount of say, the utilization review team and, and, and the, the, the committees that are associated with that. that. That makes a huge difference because they have to have those elements to help identify what is inpatient, what's not. Exactly. Now, there's a lot of layers, as you mentioned, to what we do in coding and CDI and, and getting from one to the other. So I do encourage you, if you're coding right now and you want to get into CDI, start thinking like a CDI professional. Start thinking about as you're coding, think like an auditor, but also as auditors, I want you to also think like CDI where you're, you may not be auditing that particular part or for that reason. Maybe you're just auditing, you're trying to find the evaluation management level, but guess what? You're still trying to find medical necessity. And so if you happen to see a, an issue with connection on CDI, bring it up. It's a huge, huge thing because guess what? Insurance companies have policies and they are, you know, it's it's to their advantage. They're a business, right? They're, they, they run like a business. So if they find a reason where, okay, we're not going to pay because of this, they have every right to not pay if they have a policy on it. So they are creating policies, right? Where they're looking at CDI concepts or looking at clinical documentation, even on the outpatient side now. So if you, so if you sell the patient comes in with a, with a certain symptom, right? But that body system is not examined or everything is normal. And then you get down to the diagnosis and all, there's all of a sudden this phantom diagnosis, we call it, right? That just popped up out of nowhere. Yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I can't tell you how many times where providers don't like to be granulated and they're their granular in their documentation because they want to use the templates. They want to make things easier and they don't say what they're thinking. But even though this patient presents and they, you know, maybe it's a late night, maybe they've had a rough day, maybe they had a whole bunch of, you know, bad cases. And that one case, that makes a difference that they're really just tired and just at their their wits end is where they lack the most that could have made the most money. So you have all of these templates and all of these easy uh, easy ways of documenting when at the end of the day, you know, the granularity is going to make the difference in how much, you know, the hospital is going to get or the comorbidities or the complications that are associated with that. So, you know, the burden of documentation is a huge thing 
Um, and and they, they just made the changes for E&M. So think about that. If they, it took 30 years for them to change E&M now. So now we got to think about what are we going to do about the hospital side? How can we change the administrative burden of documentation that's related to that? So, you know, if it took 30 years for E&M, think about what the change is going to be for um, the hospital and then AI that to compound with all of that stuff. So it's just a huge mess um, that's related to to documentation. But at the end of the day, if the doctor is really uh, concerned about the outcome of what's going to happen next, then the documentation would be worth enough time to say, to spell it out. Right, unravel the string, so to speak, so that uh, there's no question behind the care that they provide. One hundred percent. And we'll just touch lightly on the second condition that I wanted to discuss, and that was respiratory failure, because it is one that is often kind of a headache for some coders to understand on the inpatient side. We have a guideline on it specifically called out on respiratory failure for inpatient guidelines. But I wanted to just kind of talk about just the layers because there's so many layers to why we look at this. And earlier we talked to you about the kind of the reimbursement side, what hospitals look at. So looking at, first of all, what's going to increase the length of stay, the LOS, what is going to um, be a factor for the severity of illness factor, right? And then the risk of mortality, the ROM. So there's three kind of components that hospitals look at, reports they kind of look at, right? The LOS, the SOI, and the ROM. So length of stay, the severity of illness, and the risk of mortality. That's kind of where they're they're looking, right? So again, something like respiratory failure, what can that do um, to these, these metrics, Maya? Right. Yeah. And so again, when we're talking about, because we talked about sepsis, right? We talked about you know, um, those types of things. And the, the, the association with the respiratory failure, you have to link the organ failure um, that's associated with the sepsis. And, and the, that also makes a difference on the reimbursement. And so that's when you look at um, uh, the sequential, you know, outcome of uh, systematic or organ failure, and they look at respiratory, all of that stuff is clinically documented in the lab. So the coder should be able to identify all of those things to capture whatever organ failure that's associated. If it's hypercapnia, if it's, if it's hypoxic. So all of those things make a huge difference on um, the reimbursement levels and the comorbidities and, and, and how that complicates um, the, the, uh, the care and the resources that are associated with that stay. Um, once that organ failure is documented and the type of organ failure that's documented, that's a huge problem. Um, and uh, CDI experts try to explain that, but just saying respiratory failure is difference between, you know, you know, hypercapnic and hypoxic and things of that nature, because it, it, it really does make a difference on how that's being managed. So, you know, you know, you, you, you can't, um, assume. That's why a lot of que physicians get queries and it drives them insane. But if you don't spell it out, we gotta, we gotta ask you. So, you know, it just is one of those things where the more they're educated, the less likely they are to, uh, uh, get, um, complain because now they know better. So, you know, 
so and also think about too you know we're, we're talking about the connection of the organ failure with possibly the sepsis but on its own respiratory failure you want to make sure you're looking for what caused it um what is the connection even if they don't have sepsis if you're you're looking at respiratory failure on its own what are some of the what's the criteria right that should be documented that the physician would look at so again we're going back to the thought process and this is the true across every code set every facility it's all about the thought process that's all it is so do some research get to know the different types of respiratory failure what can cause them what are some of the the criteria clinical criteria they look at to officially diagnose a patient once you understand you can get inside their head then it's going to be easier for you to see when they're not giving you what you need or what should be there so you know that they're not giving you the full thought process because you know they had to go through this process to get to this point. You know, and I always say coders, you know, we're the naggers. We like to nag. <laughs> and so the more you nag and after you nag, you educate. And then, you know, what do what do husbands or spouses do after you nag? They They think ahead of the time, right? And then they try to avoid the problem because they don't, they hear you nagging at them about what didn't happen or what should have been documented. Oh, I forgot. Oh, oh, I remember. I remember. I mean, I could, I, I've actually seen and uh, I've actually had uh, physicians tell me, oh, I forgot. Oh, I should have, you know, like the difference between heart pain or chest pain and angina, right? Those are two major things, but documenting the diff documenting if it's angina versus regular chest pain, you know, that is also a difference. So we kind of hear that a lot too. Yeah, exactly. So again, get to know it. Uh, if you're interested in CDI, if you're already in CDI, of course, you already know this, just build on that knowledge. That's the recommendation here. Because when I come into education, I'm asking a lot of these questions. Have you done this? Have you considered this? What did the payer say? What did the documentation say? So when I do those reviews and I'm coming in as an external party, I want to know that you've already gone there, right? You've already gotten to that point. So um, I think that, of course, uh, is, is a great place for us to kind of um, end our, our discussion today. So I want to thank everyone for joining today. It's been a great, great episode. Thank you, Maya, for joining in once again as our co-host. And I look forward to many more discussions in the future about you know, chronic conditions, CDI. We're going to talk more about what's coming in 2024 um, in many more episodes to come. We're going to get some oncology discussions in here. We're going to get some some of the drug stuff in here. We have to. We're going to get some talk on some of the drug things. I know it's on everyone's minds, right? We're gonna we're gonna talk about some of these uh, these things happening with some of our MA plans uh, that I know everyone's thinking about. So let's let's keep keep this conversation going. Let us know what you want to talk about. Let us know what's on your mind because you're out there in in, in the crux of this, feeling it. We want to know what you're going through. Um, next week, we are going to talk about contracting and credentialing because it is a necessary evil. So we're going to get in and talk about all things contracting and credentialing. It's going to be fun, guys. So get your ears out, um, get your get your calendars out, mark, your, mark it down for next Thursday. It's the credentialing and contracting discussion. So we will see you then. Thank you, everyone, and have a great one. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Healthcare Inspired Podcast. You've been listening to season two, Healthcare Echoes. 
episode four, discussing the challenges and, of course, the career opportunities for clinical documentation improvement. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and follow us on your favorite platform. Remember, this episode has been remastered from our original version on YouTube. So check out our YouTube channel. The information is in our show notes. Join us next week for another episode where we're going to be talking about the challenges of credentialing and contracting our providers and facilities. It's going to be a great discussion with our co-host, Maya Turner. So we encourage you to stay tuned for that episode next week. Until next time.